And I think we're live. Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another live stream where we're going to talk about all the good things happening in EOS over the past week and what we think might be coming in the future. Now, first and foremost, if you're watching with us live, let us know in the chat where you're tuning in from. Hit the thumbs up button. And if you're part of the replay crew, leave a comment down below the video letting us know that as well. But uh, Zach, it sounds like we got a special episode coming next week as well. Is that right? We do. So we have an update from Peter K on the Everything EOS developer courses. So I wanted to give an update to everyone here. I, I'm going to repeat this stuff. I recorded it this morning. Uh, we've had 462 developers enroll in the Everything EOS developer courses that Cypherglass sponsored. Uh, Peter K did them. Uh, we've got an average 4.48 ratings. I think there's been, I don't have it in front of me, like 70 ratings. So nice. it, it's just been going over so well, onboarding so many new developers. Um, and we're basically going to take it to the next level in the next series of courses. So I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, so we have more courses planned, right? And he's going to give sort of a, a sneak peek in that episode. He is. Uh, so basically, he's. He, the, the, I mean, I don't want to give too much of it away, but <laughs> the main difference is that for the original developer courses, uh, he followed the guidelines of the Elemental Battles tutorial that Block One made. So he had to basically just stick to it, and some of it was really redundant stuff he wouldn't necessarily need to teach him in a more advanced class. But that laid the foundation. So in all future Everything EOS developer courses, it's going to be assumed that you already took the first course and you're well on your way to actually building a DAP of your own. And that's kind of what he's going to uh, get into. He's going to get into obviously some liquid app stuff. He's, he, he's basically going to uh, walk people through how to build a peer-to-peer -peer game. Uh, it's wow. going to be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And it, speaking of the 500 plus people, or I guess close to 500 people that we have enrolled, it looked like EOS Arabia actually also put on their own hackathon, I guess, over this past week or weekend, and they used the, the course as well, right? They did. So I, I think I got it on the screen. I'm trying to get, get this new software. We had some complaints last week, but it was really cool. Like this, this like, I don't even know what this room is uh, from EOS Arabia, but EOS Arabia, apparently, uh, they had a hackathon uh, that they sponsored or hosted, and they had their students... Uh, or their um, hackathon attendees all take the Everything EOS developer courses uh, in advance of the hackathon. So that by the time they got to the hackathon, they already knew how to develop a smart contract and they were ready to build an application of their own. So I thought that was super cool seeing it in action. Um, the, the other thing that was cool, man, I, don't, I just had this conversation with Pete this morning. I don't want to repeat too much stuff, but <laughs> it was really cool in Washington, D.C. and in New York City for uh, Blockchain Week, bumping into people that were actually students of the course and were oh, given wow. that great feedback. Uh, we'll get into some of that next week. Uh, but but uh, I guess I should also state that the reason I pre-recorded this episode for next week is because I will be away on vacation. I believe you said you'll be away on vacation. So uh, this is the last Everything EOS with Rob and I until next Sunday, I believe, is when I get back. Uh, so we'll have another live stream then. But I have some content uh, stored up for you guys that I'll be releasing next week. So you might not even uh, notice I'm gone here. We're Rob. Perfect. Yeah, it's exciting. And uh, we should have more videos, obviously, on the Cypherglass channel as well. So if you're craving the new EOS news or whatever's going on, head on over to the Cypherglass YouTube and you can check that out there. But uh, speaking to the developer courses, before we move on, we, we are getting integrated in a lot of different places. And that's ultimately our goal is to just teach as many developers as possible how to actually build EOS dApps. So big shout out to WordProof and EOS Studio for linking to the developer courses on their pages. WordProof obviously coming from a company that has WordPress plugins with more than a million 
uh, downloads on their plugin. So a huge potential audience there of developers and people who are using their new WordProof plugin who can now actually learn to build on EOS. And EOS Studio as well just came out with their web version and included us there as well. So huge shout out, huge thank you to those guys. And if you're out there and you're saying, hey, I could use those developer courses for something good, maybe your own hackathon, maybe integrating it with your site, reach out to us and uh, let us know. There's contact info in the description of the video. And I also mentioned this, uh, I keep, I'm going to mention stuff on both videos with you and Pete, but um, one of the things we're also integrating with the second round of courses is they're all going to start off with a survey to kind of get an understanding of your developer experience and what you're looking to get out of the course. And if you're looking to be connected to projects when you're done with the course, we're able to help you with that because developers are the most scarce resource on the EOS mainnet. It's not RAM, it's actually developers. <laughs> and we want to uh, link up to both projects and students, and we just kind of want to get uh, possible workers with people needing work. Um, and we'll, we'll be just doing that at first, at least, just free of charge. We just want to help people out. Um, eventually, that, that could be one of our business strategies here at Everything EOS. Uh, we're always trying to find ways to make this a sustainable business. Um, but you mentioned WordProof. So there's actually, we, we've talked about this so many times uh, that it's finally here, that WordCamp Europe 2019. It's the uh, biggest WordPress conference of the year. Uh, in our Everything EOS Telegram channel, uh, Sebastian came in there, he's the CEO of WordProof, and he shared a video of Matt Mullenwag, who is the founder of WordPress, having a conversation with him in front of this audience of thousands saying how uh, his timestamping tool was one of the coolest things he's ever seen. Oh, wow. So That's you, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I hope that goes everywhere because it, it really does add real value to be able to timestamp an, an article that you write on WordPress and say, hey, I wrote this first. It's here on a blockchain that uh, can't be faked. So That's a pretty awesome use case. I mean, it, it really is because uh, Brendan Bloomer's even put out, uh, it was like a tweet a while ago. He said, like, in, in, things will be fraudulent if they're not like timestamped, things like that. So it's really cool because if you ever had two people debating over who had an idea first, if, if this timestamping tool really took off or, or any timestamping tool, uh, you'd have a, a verifiable way because the blockchain is deterministic. That's a feature. Um, so there, there's just been a lot of uh, project updates this week, almost too many that we're probably not even going to, going to be able to touch on all of them. But one of them that just came across uh, our desk today is Dmail and Shintai have partnered yeah. up. So um, I, I just caught wind of this uh, about two hours ago. I think someone shared it in the Everything EOS channel. But it says here on the blog, I'm going to pull it up on the screen for people uh, watching. Yeah, while you're pulling that up, uh, a shout out to Silver Crypto for the $2 donation. Thank you, sir. We appreciate that. <laughs> how many How many have got in the live stream? I can't have that window open. I, I'm trying to be a resource minimum uh, person today streaming this. It uh, looks like 63 watching now. So shout out to all 63 of you out there. All right. And I just want to apologize for last week. We had some audio issues. We said some lag issues. But basically, no one ever taught us how to do this stuff. I'm learning this software <laughs> as I go. Um, and it turns out to render graphics on the fly, it actually requires a lot of processing power and CPU. So uh, when we get back from our, our trips uh, for the next episode, uh, we'll have two independent machines. So we'll be able to render graphics on the fly and do kinds of stuff that I didn't even get to debut last week. Um, anyway, enough about me. Uh, Dmail and Shintai Partnership. Uh, they're forming a strategic partnership to enable meaningful messages on Shintai and automated resource management for Dmail. Uh, starting in the summer of 2019, Shintai users will be able to use Dmail to send on-chain notifications to users. And then the resource management for Dmail basically means that they're going to handle all of like, the, the CPU and um, 
everything in regard to that. Similar to how um, Dunya Labs does it, and uh, who else is doing these resource managements besides Dunya right now? There's a couple uh, of them. There are a couple of them out there. I forget the, their names. Dunya is obviously a big one. Now, Chintai getting in the game as well. But what I'm so excited about this partnership is that it really unveils a use case for Dmail that we haven't talked about yet, which is there are so many businesses and services like Chintai or Nudex and so many others that you know, interact with people on chain. They don't have a list of email addresses where they can reach out to people, their users and contact them. Instead, all they have is an EOS account name. And right now there's really no way for them to actually reach out to all of their individual users and say, hey, here's a, a receipt for, you know, the 10 Blancos that you were able to successfully lease on, on Chintai, or here's a receipt for all of the trades you made on Nudex today with, you know, your cost average and other useful information. So what this Chintai Dmail partnership is really showing is that first business use case where Chintai can now message all of their users and say, you know, hey, we have a new promotion going on, or hey, your um, one of your items was just leased successfully, or your Rex is about to, you know, come up for renewal, whatever it may be, they're going to be able to contact their users much more easily. And it's the first of, of many, many partnerships to come. So we're super excited about it. I think it's cool seeing uh, some of Kurt's ideas come to fruition. Kurt, he's the the founder of Dmail, and when I I first talked, I think it was the first time I talked to him about the project. He was explaining how if you have a truly decentralized exchange, that exchange doesn't even know your email address. Yeah. So how does a, a decentralized application communicate with its users if it is truly decentralized, which gives you a choice of whether or not you you want to like share all of your personal information, which would include your email address. So that use case is really cool. And I think that is similar to uh, how, how Shintai plans to implement it. Um, but I'm excited for Shintai 2.0, uh, where we could lease everything. Do we, I don't, I'm not 100% of the timeline of everything for Shintai 2.0, are you? I'm not sure. I, uh, I would have to check out their website to, to figure that out. But speaking of 2.0s, we also got Everipedia 2.0. Uh, which was pretty amazing that looking at the editing flow, you know, being someone who was there in the, the very early days of the project when they weren't even uh, on a blockchain system, when they were still on a centralized version before the initial EOS version came out, um, the editing experience alone has, has honestly, I think, been solved. There were so many user experience problems with going in and editing and saving your content and having to wait several seconds to, you know, cite a source. There were just a lot of UX and UI issues that seem now to have been resolved in Everypedia 2.0. Uh, the new homepage looks great. All the new article formats look great. So I'm excited about it. And I really like, I think most, their new tagline, which is Everypedia, everyone's encyclopedia, sort of, you know, alluding to the fact that anybody can go on and, and make an edit or propose a new article. So excited to see what happens with that. I, I, I like it a lot. They expanded their login options. So I, I think they always had Or ID, which is one of the most convenient logins. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at your screen right now, all the different social logins that ID allows, your Google login, your Twitter login, your Facebook login, and that actually abstracts your uh, private keys. So you don't actually have to manage them. You just use the OAuth. But I, I, they added in the functionality of Scatter, which is what most people were actually used to on other decentralized applications. So it, uh, it, it's up to the user if you want to use Scatter or a, a third-party social account. They give their reasonings here. Um, in the blog article. I'm not going to read them word for word, but basically, if you want more control, use Scatter. If you want something simple and easy that your mom could do, use ID. Absolutely. Uh, the Seamless and Enhanced Editor, that one's big. Uh, I think you're the one that told me about that was um, on Wikipedia. They have some weird like markup language, and it's not even HTML. It's not anything normal. It's just like clunky and weird. It's not a rich text editor. So just having that, it doesn't sound innovative, but for this class of project, it really is. And 
uh, real-time chat and activity feed. And one last thing is the enhanced version history sounds cool. Uh, it sounds like there's like a little slider bar, like a timeline, and you could actually watch the state history of any article change in front of you, which I think is uh, going to be really cool. Absolutely. That's something that's going to be good for censorship resistance as well. So if somebody comes in and they wanted to be malicious and buy a lot of IQ tokens just to sort of force a change on a page through, you're going to be able to see not only who made the change and you know which specific part of the article they actually change, but you're going to be able to see what the article looked like before the change and get that correct information in the event of some kind of malicious actor. So a lot of good features. And that's really what they're trying to solve is censorship, where 99 out of 100 new articles posted to Wikipedia just get deleted because they're not important enough. So really cool to have a home for all that now. Mm -hmm. Someone someone's saying scatter is confusing. Uh, nah, yeah, I mean, I could see for, for an average user getting it set up for the first time is, is definitely a little confusing. I think we have a ways to go until it's just super easy onboarding uh, to get these people into the system. But I, I don't think it's unique to scatter. I think it's just managing owner and active keys, private keys, public keys. It, it's a major onboarding process. I don't ever see that scaling to the masses. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how the YubiKey could actually uh, be your private key. Right. And, and you don't even have to think about it. You just think this is my physical key and it has a private key in it somewhere. And that's all your, your mom or your grandpa would need to know if they want to sign something with a private key is I just need this key. Uh, like, um, so moving on, we got to go back. You said uh, you've had some big updates with EOS DNS. Yeah, no, no real major like technical updates, but the, the usage is just continuing. So we've been blown away by the amount of people that are actually using it, that are you know registering new names on EOS name service and then linking them to EOS DNS or using existing names, even 12 character names work. Um, so using cool names that they have and redirecting them to Twitter or their website or anything like that. Um, so if you haven't already, go to eosdns.io. You can add the Chrome extension to either Chrome or the Brave browser if you use Brave like I do now. And uh, you can start using eosdns. Pretty cool system. Trying to think, there, there's some others. I, I didn't put it in the notes, I don't think, but there was um, Michael Gucci, uh, the the founder of Airdrop yeah. Stack. Uh, he runs Malta DSP, the DSP Malta for for DAP Network now. He started his own proxy with a total of uh, it's. Uh, let me go to Aloha. Uh, yeah, close to three million EOS. Looks like two point nine four million EOS. And uh, Michael actually decided to vote for Cypherglass. So thank you, Michael. We really need the votes right now as we. You know, continue to get jumped by other uh, VPs that are just sort of moving up above us. So, shout out to Michael Gucci for the votes. We appreciate it. All right, uh, moving along. So, man, this. Yeah, I mean, speaking of speaking of voting, Bithum actually uh, just recently said that they are going to begin voting soon. So, if you look at who the major players are that are really, um, you know, the biggest, I guess, whale voters on the network, most of them are exchanges. If you look at Bitfinex, they have you know several different proxies where they split up forty plus million EOS. Um, but a lot of these exchanges like Binance, like Bitthumb, all these others have not actually voted yet. So it's it's really encouraging to see Bitthumb now saying, hey, we're going to come out and uh, start voting the tokens that the exchange has. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that kind of affects the BP rankings. So I, I thought it was interesting. So I have a few things highlighted here. One, they just announced that they're going to be voting. Um, their parent company is the one that they're going to... Um, so it's going to start that the parent company who just owns a bunch of tokens, they're going to start voting first. So it sounds like that they weren't voting previously with just their owner tokens that the exchange itself owns. But then they intend to open up voting to their users, which is what's going to be really unique. And the thing that stood out to me is one, 
Um, it says that they're going to use proxies that align with their interests. So I'm curious to see who those proxies will be, if they'll be new proxies or um, existing proxies. Uh, they pointed out a statistic. I don't know how to validate it, but Korea owns about 10% of all EOS tokens. And lastly, I, this is the one that stood out to me the most, is Bithum will seek, quote, best of breed, end quote, exchange voting tools and software, which will allow it to transparently and fairly reflect the opinions and desires of customers voting preferences with their custodial accounts. That is unique because um, on other exchanges that allow their users to kind of vote, Bitfinex being one of the examples, they, they kind of make it a little difficult. You have to like download a JSON file and then edit it in a text editor, then upload it yeah. in. So it's just like... It's a little bit complicated, let's just say that. And I, I, I know they have good developers. I know all of these exchanges have world-class developers. So I don't really see um, valid reason for not having great UX UI to, to give that control to your users. And I, I hope they, they champion this and it, it catches on to other exchanges. I think uh, that's very much needed. Definitely. We do know that uh, you know Coinbase with their Coinbase custody service where they custody assets for institutions, we know that they have a governance section on the website that's coming soon. So ostensibly, you'll be able to use you know your EOS that are custody in Coinbase to actually vote for VPs as well. But there's no timeline yet on when that will come out. But I hope eventually we'll have all of the exchanges, all of the major whales and wallets voting because the more people that vote, uh, the more, uh, I guess, accurate the, the voting results will be. Mm -hmm. uh, we had someone in the channel, they, they wanted to... They mentioned your Hello EOS interview, which I actually have the yeah. notes here to talk about. So um, I don't remember the guy's name, uh, but he was from Hello EOS, one of the uh, top block producers in China. Uh, very good insights. And I, I watched it, Rob, at 2x speed, and it sounded great like that because of he, oh, okay. because uh, English obviously wasn't his first language, and he was just like very like... Um, he, he thought about everything he said because it's obviously not his first language. And I was like, usually I can't listen at 2x, but this is my first experience uh, doing it. And it was pretty eye-opening the way they, they look at vote buying, vote sharing, all, all of that stuff. And he, his, he, he kept going back to the opinion of he's not going to basically judge a token holder. If they want to use their tokens in a certain way, who is he to judge that person? So right. I, that was my key takeaway. What, what do you think your key takeaway was from uh, that conversation? I think my key takeaway was that I think a lot of the reason why a lot of the, the tokens that are owned by Chinese holders don't actually get voted to Western BPs is just because, you know, the same reason why we're not voting for Chinese BPs. We don't speak Chinese and vice versa. A lot of them really don't speak English. So there's this massive group of token holders in China that I think would vote for a lot of Western BPs if they actually knew what we were doing, knew what we were up to. So that was the biggest takeaway was, hey, we need more cross communication. We really need to start to bridge that gap more so that the East knows what the West is doing and the West knows what the East is doing. And we can all kind of be one cohesive EOS community. So that, that kind of goes in line. Did you see, oh, let me get the link pulled up here. Uh, EOS Raider is actually doing some East-West uh, bridge work. Yeah, here. I was happy to see this. I think the more people that go out and, and do this, the better. Um, and it looks like he's working with uh, some existing partner company, I guess, that already does a little bit of this in the space. Yeah, so I'm um, reading it here on the screen. Uh, a partnership with a company called Moran. Uh, it says they're a consulting firm. Uh, they say what we just said, one of the biggest hurdles and most important hurdles uh, on the EOS public network is the communication gap between the East and West. Um, they have their new Chinese version of their website live at cn.eosrader.io, but anyone listening to this probably doesn't plan to use that site. Uh, who is Moran? This is the question you asked. It's a management consulting firm founded in the summer of 2018 to serve Whale X 
on PR, marketing, and business development. Um, I'm not going to re read the entire thing. Um, have you ever heard of them prior to this announcement? Because uh, I've not heard of not. Moran, but I've heard of WhaleX, you know, one, one of the bigger decentralized exchanges. I, I'm, I'm happy to see more of that. Um, I, I saw you um, letting people know in the Cypher Glass and Everything EOS channel that you plan to do more bridging the East and West content. You want to yeah. kind of give a preview on some of your ideas and what is definitely going to happen and some of the like wish list of what we want to happen? Yeah, so starting out, we're definitely doing more AMAs with other Chinese block producers. You know, obviously, Hello EOS is just one of many Chinese BPs that exist on EOS now. And I think the more that we talk to and sort of ask these questions to, and you know, some of the same questions, some new questions as well, depending on who it is, uh, I think the better insight we'll get into sort of how that side of the EOS community really operates. So I'm excited about those AMAs coming up. I think the dream uh, would definitely be to have a Chinese version of everything EOS with you know two other co-hosts. So if, if anybody out there has a suggestion for who those co-hosts might be, uh, let us know. We're definitely interested in pursuing that and, and have uh, taken the right steps to sort of put that process in motion now. So that's the dream, definitely have a Chinese version of, of everything EOS that exists. Do you think there do you think there's a Chinese Finchify out there? Oh, I think he's out there. A Chinese Kevin Rose. <laughs> yeah, Chinese Zach Gall. They're all uh, out there. We, we can only hope. I hope they have memes for days being shared on uh, <laughs> WeChat. On WeChat, yeah, exactly. Um, so while we're on the topic of voting, uh, blockchain kid, he's raised from the dead. I hadn't, I hadn't heard from him in a while. I haven't, I, yeah. I used to talk to him pretty frequently. I hadn't talked to him in a while, but he actually put out, um, a thought leadership piece recently, which I was, uh, very happy to see. Um, basically it's, um, uh, I guess the concept is deferred block rewards. Um, and his idea was... Let me just start from the top here. His two concerns are that the perceived inequity of the top 21 is due to vote buying and trading among registered producers. Uh, so he thinks there's BP freeloading from people collecting block rewards. Um, his solution is actually to um, defer block rewards. So in this example, he says mandatory deferral of 60 to 80% of daily block rewards, but his idea is only in the top 21. And it would go into like a deferred account with some sort of vesting schedule. And his examples were uh, 12 months, 36 months. I don't think that's uh, fully refined yet. But basically his idea is that a big chunk of block awards should go in an account that needs to vest over time to make sure that the uh, interests are aligned with the network. Um, there... Uh, there, There's a few other parts that were interesting. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to read this entire article on the air. I read it um, earlier whenever I was taking some notes. But I'm happy that there's thought leadership coming out here. And shout out to EOS Blocksmith, because I didn't uh, mention them earlier. But EOS Blocksmith actually sponsored the article. So they, they probably paid Blocks, Blockchain Kid um, some EOS to do this. I think that's great. I think that's something that I, I'd like to see more block producers doing. I know, Rob, you do that a fair bit with uh, in, independent small projects. Uh, but I thought that was cool. But I don't know if this is the right way to go about uh, block rewards because, especially in the short term, if we would, uh, if this would somehow pass, uh, taking sixty to eighty percent of block rewards and uh, basically taking them away for twelve months, that that's going to kind of limit the short term growth of the EOS mainnet. We may not agree how everyone's uh, managing their block rewards necessarily, if they're paying them out for voters or however they're doing it. Um, but it's at least still going to someone. Um, I've talked to 
people on the Asian side of the EOS mainnet, and they think that the, the vote distribution, like from an exchange, they think it, it's helping with mass adoption because there's these thousands of users of their, their exchanges, and they're getting rewarded in EOS. Uh, just the same way if I'm staking to Pixios, I'm getting free Pixios tokens on a daily basis. So it's kind of like incentivizing, they, they think they're getting um, a network effect from that. I have no way to verify it, but I, right. I, do, I do see both sides. And I'll go back to, to what the Hello EOS guy said. If that's what a token holder wants to do, like if, if we don't like it, we're basically just putting our opinion on them. I, I, I mean, we could all have opinions. I, I don't know the solutions is, is the problem here. Like um, we, we have this issue. Nobody's happy about who's in the top 21 at least from Eastern, or not Eastern, from, from Western conversations I've had, nobody seems to be happy about it. And then from your conversation with Heloios, uh, they, they seem to think everything's just fine. And they think the biggest problem from them is that the Western world is not communicating with them. Right, yeah, and I, I definitely agree with him to some extent that you, know, you have to respect the wishes of other token holders and let people do, ultimately there's nothing we can do to stop somebody from doing something with their tokens. You know, it's not a, it's a relatively permissionless system where you can just kind of do what you want. But at the same time, I think we have to be careful of going too far down that path where, you know, the top one to 81, all of the paid BB slots are occupied by the same cartel owned by the same group of voters that then just collect as much money out of the system as possible until ultimately developers start building on other chains that maybe don't struggle with those same issues. So I think it is a balance and I would, I guess, urge those people in power to not go too far with it where it turns into a LISC situation like I've seen happen before that just can really just destroy a network because so many of the people that were adding value are then no longer incentivized to add that value anymore because only one group actually controls the entire chain. So I hope that doesn't happen. We'll see. Um, Andrew has a good question in chat who says, how would you explain infinity stones out of California, but looks to be all Asian, climbing so high so quickly in the BP rankings. I think it's it's probably a combination between a lot of these new incentive programs that we're seeing pop up. Nudex, for example, just launched a new uh, Nudex POS, something along those lines. But essentially, all you have to do is deposit to Rex and vote for their proxy, and they give you something like a 5% annual return. So there are a lot of people that are kind of doing this indirect vote buying in a lot of way where they're giving you a higher return if you vote for their specific set of VPs. So I think maybe that is part of the reason why Infinity Stones has climbed high. Maybe they own a lot of EOS. There are a lot of variables that go into it. But if you look at the top 50, there are a lot of VPs that have now sort of climbed through the ranks up into the top 50 that are all being voted in by the same groups of holders. So it, it's been really, I guess, disheartening in a lot of ways to just see these same BPs. Oh, look, it's those 10 wallets again, voting for a new BP, now voting for another new BP, and seeing legitimate BPs like ourselves and Gray Mass and so many others just slowly slide down the ranks due to the same wallets being able to vote in more and more BPs on top of each other. So hopefully in the long term, that gets resolved in some kind of way, whether through a governance change, maybe block one allows their 100 million to be voted thanks to uh, you know EOS voice ID where unique users could potentially divvy up those votes in some way. I don't know what it will be, um, but I think we have to sort of correct the course at some point or we'll just turn into another LISC or RISE or one of those projects that went downhill due to governance. So I don't even like having this conversation and a big reason behind it is because I don't have the answers. I don't wanna be one of those people that just kind of complains about something and doesn't actually have a way to fix it. Absolutely. Um, but but I do think about it a lot. And I, I asked this in the Everything EOS channel a while back, like a week or two ago. And would people's opinions of the top 21 be different 
if those companies were still Chinese owned, but they had their infrastructure globally distributed? Would, because right now everyone's saying that the, the nodes all shouldn't be in the same place geographically. And I, I understand that 100%. I, I think that's a, a huge risk. But I, I don't see people complaining necessarily about the ownership. They're saying that geographically this doesn't make sense. So yeah. what would your thoughts be on that? If that was one way to solve it was they agreed to geographically diversify their, their servers. Yeah, I mean, I think that would solve half the problem, right? Because part of the problem is that geographic diversity, all of the nodes are in one location. So, you know, God forbid there's some horrible earthquake or something and, you know, all the power in China goes out. A significant chunk of those top 21 nodes are going to go out as well because they're all sort of located in the same area. But the other part of the problem is even if they geographically distribute the infrastructure, there's still a centralization of ownership where potentially if those BPs are, you know, voted in by the same person, that one person still has that one group or entity, whatever it is, has a lot of control over the network still. So I think absolutely splitting it up geographically would help a lot, um, but would not solve the whole problem. So to, to kind of go along with that idea, I, I, the cool, not cool, one of the things that makes uh, a rule like that enforceable, if it were to be enacted sometime in the future, is when the EOS mainnet first launched, there were a lot of BPs running Amazon Web Services cloud infrastructure. Right. And you were one of the big proponents that said, hey, you guys all need to get on bare metal. And you, I, I think at Cypherglass, you guys were bare metal from day one. Yeah. Right now, I, I think for the most part, almost everyone, at least in the top 21, is bare metal. Is that true? Because Yeah, that, that was true about a, a month ago. I don't know if it's still the case because there's been so much shakeup and new people have sort of moved into the top 21. But uh, as of about a month ago, that was definitely the case. So, I mean, we, we have, I think, improved the network in a lot of ways through, you know, similar thought leadership that EOS New York and other people do where it's like, hey, this one thing would be very good for the network. Maybe, you know, geographic diversity of, of infrastructure is the next thing that could help out. So that's what I'm saying is if you have a bare metal infrastructure, that means you could install physical components into your, your data centers. So if there was a device that had a proof of location type of hmm. uh, component built into it from, let's say, Platin or there's another one like XYZ, but Platin's the one that's an ESVC investment. Right. What, what if there was like an unhackable way to get a proof of location from a piece of hardware that said geographically where it was located in the world. And then you could enforce that rule programmatically through like the system contract to, to make sure that the, the whole EOS mainnet was always geographically diverse. I, I think that's something that we should um, think about as that technology gets closer. I mean, we're, it's, it's still really early now. I'm just throwing the idea out to even have a conversation yeah, about it. It's definitely an interesting idea. I mean, restricting like, hey, this X percent, you know, of the total network or of the top 21 can only be in one country. Um, but I think it would be hard to get the top 21 to implement it. And that's the kind of weird situation that we're in now is that let's say we do come up with some kind of a solution that makes, you know, voting more decentralized and makes the BP ranking more decentralized. You need the 15 out of the top 21 to actually approve that change to the network. So it's, it's in a weird situation where it's like, could we implement a change even if, you know, the majority of, of token holders agreed on it or the majority of community members agreed on it. It would be very difficult, I think, to implement that change. But I don't mean to be be too bearish. I still think uh, a lot of these issues can be solved and they do take time to solve. It's people having conversations with each other, trying to bridge that gap, learning what you know both sides are interested in and, and kind of going from there. Mm -hmm. um, you're right though. Any, any of these major changes like blockchain kid, 
love the thought leadership of the yeah. aligning incentives article. And he, he had a forward thinking one a while ago that it was proxies, somehow, some way to incentivize proxies because they, they spend a lot of time doing their due diligence and research. But anyway, um, seeing something like what he proposed, even if I, I was in love with the idea completely, and I, I think there's some good aspects to it, I, I think it'd be very hard to get any of that approved by 15 out of the current top 21. I, I think it'd be it'd mess up all of their business models for the most part. So I, I, think, right. I think it'd be really hard. You'd have to have a referendum that was overwhelmingly supporting it and then kind of force their hand. I, I think that's going to be the only way we'll be able to ever shake up uh, the the 15 signatures required on a, multi, on a 15 out of 21 BP multi-sig is if it had incredible like referendum support. But if you had incredible referendum support, I'm assuming that the block producers that those voters on the referendum liked would also be higher up in the ranking. So um, we, we haven't had anything radical yet. Uh, let's just right. say that. Everything that's been passed, I guess the ES user agreement was the most radical thing for some people. Uh, but I think every, I think it's been an improvement ever since. So I think only the ECAF camp um, disagreed with that. Uh, so I have some notes here about Facebook and Libra. Uh, yeah. we, don't, we don't have to talk too much about it, but now, now that it happened, what, what were your thoughts on it? Ultimately, I was surprised by a lot of the stuff they did. I was surprised that it's you know ultimately going to be a permissionless system within five years, they said. They'll start the transition to totally permissionless, um, but also that accounts are pseudonymous. So I thought for sure that you would have to link a Facebook account to a Libra account, or you would have to you know go through KYC to actually make an account on the chain but they're pseudonymous, so anybody can make an account without linking it to any of those existing services, without going through KYC, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, what's interesting about it, and what's making me very warm and fuzzy inside, is how the, the the regulators are reacting to this. And I just love seeing the government, you know, sort of realize that they're losing control over these systems, and and you know, freak out in whatever way they can. And a lot of regulators are calling for them to stop what they're doing, which seems pretty ridiculous to ask a software company to stop building software that is breaking no laws. Just seems totally crazy that politicians would even go that far and say, hey, you know, I didn't read the white paper, but you need to stop what you're doing. Stop working on it until you sit here and explain it to me because I'm too lazy to go and read the, you know, 40 pages. Um, but ultimately, if you look at the details and look at the preparation that, that Facebook has put into this, they obviously were expecting some kind of regulatory pushback when they start to enter the, the fiat money scene. And uh, you can see this, that they're already licensed to do exactly that. They're not breaking any laws. There's, you don't need permission to you know, make a basket of fiat assets and issue a token. They have a money transmitter license in all 50 states in the US to actually operate the Calibra wallet and have all the regulatory clearance it appears that they need to launch that system. So uh, I think it's really entertaining. And, and honestly, in addition to Facebook being a huge on-ramp to the total space, especially Bitcoin, um, I think it, it's also interesting because it adds, and this was a point that Caitlin Long made, who's done a lot of really great pro, you know, pro blockchain legislation stuff, especially in Wyoming. But she was saying that Facebook is now, you know, another ally in this army of putting in positive regulation that will allow people to launch tokens. And unfortunately, we've seen U.S. regulation and sort of the lack of regulatory clarity, or having regulators try to jam hundred-year-old uh, legal frameworks and you know take a token and sort of jam it into that. We've seen a lot of companies now pulling out of the US and it, it really is sad. We have Bancor who's cutting off US service on July 8th. We obviously have Binance who's cutting off service in the US um, in I think that's September. They're launching obviously Binance US, but obviously the trading selection will be much more limited. The Patrios token is now totally defunct as of June 20th. They've canceled that due to, to regulatory uncertainty. But 
Um, hopefully, you know, Facebook and Block One now with this massive sort of lobbying firm that they've hired, hopefully they can all go to regulators and say, look, guys, you're missing out on the next big technical revolution. This isn't just some fad, some phase that's going to go away. This is going to be as transformative to society, if not more transformative than the Internet was. And right now, the U.S. is kind of locking themselves out of being the beneficiaries of that innovation. So I'm really hopeful that their tune will change. But if not, crypto will continue and uh, the U.S. will unfortunately suffer. That that was one of the uh, big things that, that Kin was doing that was kind of impressive was rather than um, with, uh, settling with the government, they ended up they're, they're going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court if they have to. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know enough about it to know uh, if they're right or wrong. Um, I, I saw some of the evidence; it looked pretty damning. But I've also read legal analysis that said it's they, they probably have like a twenty five percent chance of winning, which is actually really good going against anyone in the federal government. Yeah, it seems like but a good probability. <laughs> the regulatory non clarity is the biggest hindrance of innovation in the blockchain space in the United States that there could ever be. Um, if they want to have harsh regulation, do it. Just make a decision and make it crystal clear of what we're allowed and not allowed to do. Not knowing what you're allowed to do is just, it, it's ruining lives. People could literally well, and, go to jail for doing the wrong thing by interpreting the government's vague rules in the wrong way. That's part of the problem right now is that in response to people asking for the government to have more regulatory clarity, the CFTC, for example, came out and, and issued some guidelines that basically said, if you want to launch a token, you're fucked. It's basically what they're telling people, like due to all of these specific requirements and, and referencing you know, legal frameworks that are literally 100 years old, they're uh, essentially saying you can't do anything. And that's part of the process that's so frustrating of being in the US and then also being in crypto is that there have been so many creative uh, projects that I've, I've almost been a part of or been about to launch that have a token element and the token element is crucial. And then what you inevitably do that I think a lot of people are, are sort of facing now, like Patrios with their token, you pay some lawyer $1,000 an hour who says they're a securities expert. And ultimately, at the end of it, they say, well, I can't with reasonable confidence tell you that you can launch this token. Like, thank you for your money. We appreciate it. But we're not going to give you any any real clarity there because now the CFTC has kind of put a blanket over a lot of things. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. Obviously, the, the government is not the, fact, the fastest acting entity in the world, but hopefully they'll be a little bit faster in sort of correcting the course on this and uh, bringing some of that innovation back back uh, on our shores. How, so going back to Libra, and then we'll, we'll kind of intertwine in voice here. Do you think yeah. it helps voice, hurts voice, or has no effect whatsoever on voice? Uh, I think it either helps voice or has no effect on it. But realistically, I think... It, the biggest way it could hurt voice is if Facebook introduces some kind of an incentive model into Facebook. And obviously, we don't know anything about the way it's integrated. It seems like based on the white paper and the other materials they released, that Libra is going to start out being you know, just for payments. At the very beginning, developers can't even build their own modules onto the system. They can't write their own smart contracts for it. So it is going to be just payment based for now. I think the way it hurts voice is if they add a similar incentive model whereby posting on Facebook, you can actually earn Libra tokens. I don't think that will happen because that, that would be a dramatic change to Facebook's overall business model. But if it did, I think it could hurt it. However, what I think is more likely is that uh, Facebook and Libra dramatically helps voice by not only bringing more people into crypto, but then also showing them sort of the antithesis of what Facebook is doing. Like, hey, you know, you can come over here, earn money instead of allowing Facebook to, to sell your data um, and earn all that money without uh, giving you a cut. I think the biggest advantage voice has over Facebook is the fact that it's not a publicly traded company. 
So for Facebook to be able to share revenue with its users, it's going to take a dramatic shift in, in the revenue stream for the, the shareholders themselves. Um, and the board of directors, everyone at Facebook has to basically be at the whim of the, the public stock holders, the equity holders of the company. And they expect certain levels of revenue and certain levels of profit. So for them to even consider sharing any of that, it, they have to be able to increase them dramatically so that they're making just as much as before. And then they're only sharing maybe what's extra on top of that. I, I don't see that happening, especially very soon. So I, I think voice is going to be much. So a lot of times we, uh, get frustrated because block one's not as agile as we want them to be because they're protecting $4 billion and a lot of other things. And they're, they're trying to do things right. But Facebook's going to have to move even slower because they're publicly traded already. They've got a lot of um, investors they have to, to adhere to and they're, they're not going to want to give up their money easily. So I think, and voice is planning to share uh, attention and ad revenue from the token model uh, from the start. Whereas um, Facebook, even though they have the Libra token, uh, they don't have like um, anything similar to voice that's been announced yet. But we'll, we'll see. I'm not saying it's impossible. Right. Uh, I'm just saying that block one in this instance will be more nimble in the social media wars. Um, and we also don't know. I hope so, yeah. We also don't know um, what stuff Dan hasn't even released yet. Uh, I think the one of the bigger things is going to be uh, private ownership of data. Like it, 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 right now, as far as I understand, everything is either on the block one servers or on the blockchain. There's like no like private, uh, privately securing like data on the blockchain that I've seen or heard of yet for that. Um, I had a thought here, but I think I lost it. So. I think we can move on I think the, the biggest issue that you know either of them is going to face, at least in the U.S., is regulation. Facebook has the advantage, I think, of being a global company that serves you know a huge percentage, really the majority of its users outside of the U.S. So even if they have to turn off Libra for the U.S. and go after the other two billion people that that have a smartphone but don't have a bank account, I think they have a huge amount of room to scale there. Um, I guess obviously Block One is a global company as well. Hopefully they can do that same you know strategy but it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds and i think what a lot of people have been mentioning which is interesting is that we have block one which is a blockchain company moving into the social media space and we have facebook which is a social media company moving into the blockchain space so it's it's kind of interesting to see how this is all evolving um if everything happens the way we want it to dan has mentioned he wants to put out a giant bounty for putting the ethereum virtual machine in a smart contract on eos and right after the Libra news came out, I think he said something in Telegram about he'd love to see a smart contract with with like Libra and, and their uh, chain in a smart contract. And I, I think that's the future that we're ideally going to see is all blockchains being interconnected, just like um, with today's internet. I mean, you could have different databases communicate with each other. Uh, it's just going to be an open version of that. Um, and I, I think we're going to see or we could see EOSIO connected to Facebook. Um, also, Libra doesn't have any smart con doesn't have deep smart contract uh, capabilities right out the gate. It does have some, but there, there's other chains um, like Binance. Did you know Binance doesn't have smart contract capability yet on their chain? Oh, interesting. So I'm I'm interested to see how that all plays out because. They, they clearly need it. I was reading something like a month ago on in Cointelegraph about that. Um, I, di I didn't realize it in, in, until someone told me about it. Wow, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's all going to be very interesting. And for the record, I'm, I'm pretty excited about voice just for the transformation that I think it, it 
transformation potential, I guess, that it has for the world to really change the way that people look at fiat currency, to get people into crypto and, and so much more. So I'm ultimately uh, very excited about the news. All right, we're, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, we're going to end this. We're not going to go too long on this one. Hopefully the, the production went okay. Um, we simpled it, made it simple. But I have a giveaway here. I'm just going to announce how I'm going to give it away because I haven't actually done it yet. I didn't have time today. So our, our buddy Bonds Manifest is his name on Telegram. I, he has a real name. We met him in uh, DC. I think you met him in uh, uh, New York a couple months ago at a New York, New York event. He's, he's a, a friend of everything EOS, active member of our community. He's uh, working for a project called Prospectors. It's an MMO game. Uh, I think it launches, it launches in five days from today but they have uh, these early access golden tickets, which are going to give you access, I, I think three days ahead of the, the oh, wow. mainnet launch in five days. So we'll be giving those away. And here is how you are going to earn them. Uh, literally, I am going to make a comment on this video. I don't think you're able to comment during a live stream. So as soon as the live stream's over, look in the YouTube comments. I'm gonna make a comment saying, if you want a golden ticket for prospectors, leave your EOS account name as a reply to that comment. And then Bonds is gonna go through and collect all of your uh, EOS account names and he's gonna, going to send you a golden ticket. And these, these things are being auctioned off on the um, prospectors website. Uh, so they have real value. I'm not sure exactly how much, but if you wanna get early access, uh, the game's an MMO game. I, I, I played it on Jungle for a little bit. Uh, I, I, as much as I want to pretend I'm a gamer, I mostly just play sports games. This kind of, <laughs> it, it was pretty advanced. I mean, I felt like it was Oregon, not, not even Oregon Trail, but you basically, you mine gold, which is their PGL token. You hire help. You, you could um, build stuff. Uh, just check it out, guys. Uh, anyone who's interested in this, uh, you can check it out at, uh, what is it? Prospectors. Let me, I don't have the link up. Uh, prospectors.io. Okay, perfect. So look for the comment as soon as the live stream ends. Look for my comment. It'll be from the Everything EOS account, and you'll j I'll have instructions there. But just reply to it with your account name. Uh, there, it is limited. It has to be this weekend. I don't know if we have an exact cutoff, but I think it's maybe the first twenty-five people. I I'll say that sounds like a safe number. Sorry, Bonds, if that's higher than you're able to give out. I apologize if you um, say something and don't get one, but I think at least the, the first 25 to maybe even 50 people, if you just give us your account name, we're going to uh, fire that uh, golden ticket to your account. So look for that. We, nice. have an we have another giveaway, Rob. We didn't do it last week. We had some complaints. Let's do it. We had some complaints. It's here. We got the Blanco. So we're going to pick a number. Zach, why don't you go ahead and send me a number between one and 100 and... Uh, in the order that we see it on our screen, whoever is the first to type the number one to 100 in the chat will win the Blanco. I'll mail it to you anywhere in the world. So go ahead and send me that number. All right, I got it. I have the number. Type away in the live chat, whatever number you think, one to 100 to win the Blanco. We'll wait till we see it actually pop up. Some people are close. Here come the numbers. Oh, uh, oh, oh. Not gonna, yet. You're gonna have to pick it out. Yeah, I'll pick it out. I'm, I'm lost here. Look at oh, him go. Not yet. Still not yet. Really? <laughs> oh, there we go. Carl with number 13. Congratulations, Carl. You're the first one to type 13 that we saw. Uh, DM me on Telegram at Finchify, F-I-N-C-H-I-F-Y, and uh, I will get your mailing address and send you this Blanco. Congrats, Carl. And thanks, everybody else, for playing. All right. So that about wraps it up. Let me see if I can kick on some music. This is my one fancy thing I'm going to try to do today. Nice. Hopefully there's some music playing in the background. I can't tell at the moment, but... um. We'll be back 
you'll, you'll see a video with me next week, at least one, but it'll be pre-recorded. You'll see me and Rob for another Everything EOS weekend live stream. Let us know what you think of the new format, uh, the new graphics. They'll get better each week. But let us know what you thought of this episode. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this, this is, is Everything EOS. Go, go EOS. EOS. Leave a Go EOS in the chat. Smash a thumbs up. See you next time. See you guys.